0: Previous guests have loved the experiences, especially because you can just show up and know that everything will be taken care of. Unmound Retreats is offering exciting and luxurious retreats in Morocco and Mexico. Go over to unmoundretreats.com and sign up to get on the email list so you can find out more. Hey there, this is Nicole. You know me, the host and producer of the Found Down podcast. Hope you guys are doing well out there. Happy summer. Ooh, this episode is a good one. You know, I'm talking to Neil Browning. He was the second person to receive a dose of the Moderna vaccine. So we're going to get into that episode in just a minute. But before I do that, I was just just thinking about this fantastic community that we have, this found out community. You know, there are people who listen to this show from all over the states and I don't know who you are. I don't know who you guys are. I would love to hear from you. I would le- I mean, there are people in Dallas, Fort Worth, New York. I mean, in almost every state. And um, hey, drop me a line. Tell me what's up. Uh, I want to hear from you. I want to hear what's going on where you are in your neck of the woods. Uh, you can email me at foundownpodcast at gmail.com. Drop me a note. I'll read it on the air. That'd be fun. Also... If you want to support the show, there are two ways to do that. One is leave a review, an honest review on whatever platform you listen. Um, That really does help the show go up in the ranks on Apple Podcasts. And then the other way is if you want to actually financially support the show, um, if you feel like you like the show a lot and you want to give a little bit of a donation, you can do so um, if you go to foundownpodcast.com forward slash support. Um, that's one way to do that too. And thank you to those of you out there who have done that. It's super amazing. And I just uh, totally appreciate it. So thank you. Okay, now I want to talk a minute about the amazing sponsor of the Found Down Podcast, Nicole Kupchik, CNS and educator. You know, I talk about her frequently on the show because she is um, a sponsor, but she really actually does care a lot about nurses and what's going on with them. You should follow her Instagram. Um, she's got a really great community. It's Nicole Kupchick. Um, It's just at Nicole Kupchik. but she offers courses and classes and, and books and certification review courses classes for nurses um, to help them increase their practice and grow themselves. And she, if you haven't taken anything by her, she truly is an amazing teacher. She has funny ways of making you remember things. Um, By the way, she's got a certification review class coming up September, October 2021, live webinar, CCRN and PCCN. You want to check it out, go to NicoleCupterConsulting.com And use the coupon code FOUNDOWN20 at checkout to get 20% off. That's right. Go to com and use the coupon code FOUNDOWN20 to get 20% off at checkout. Okie dokie, Smokey. That should do it. Enjoy this episode with Neil Browning. Well, hello, and welcome to the Found Down Podcast. I'm your host Nicole Johnson, and I'm uh, so excited because we're going to be talking to Neil Browning. He is actually the second person on Earth to get the Moderna vaccine, and he was part of the clinical trial um, back in March of 2020. So, we're going to talk to Neil. He he's a network engineer out of Seattle. He's a father of three, but we're going to talk to him about his experience, like, what that was like, and whatever comes up regarding that. But before we do any of that, hi, Neil, welcome to the show.
1: Hi, how are you doing?
0: Good. How are you? Like, how are you really?
1: Uh, I'm, I'm fine. You know, there's a little bit of COVID fatigue from feeling like we still aren't back to normal. And every time things seem to be getting a little better, we take a half step backwards before we take a full step forward. You know, we've got uh, masking is becoming a thing again, which honestly is, is needed. Delta is pretty serious. Uh, but overall, I mean, physically, healthfully, I'm, I'm fine. It's just a little mentally draining sometimes.
0: Yeah, I hear you. Yes. I know we're all a little bit like <clears throat> holding our breath, wondering like what's going to happen. Um, are we exactly in the same place we were last year? No, not exactly. You know, I think obviously it's a lot different, um, because of vaccines, frankly, um, a lot of us who've gotten vaccinated have a lot more protection than we would have had. So on that note, like I said, in the, in the intro, you or the second person to get the Moderna vaccine. Can you talk about how, how did you hear about being enrolled in the clinical trial and, all, and your decision-making process with that?
1: Sure. So this all started back late February or so. A, a group of friends and I were having a discussion on Facebook, and that was when we had just found out we had our first confirmed case in the U.S., which was here in Washington State, actually like five miles from where I live. And it was a uh, youth who had not traveled outside the country recently and had no direct contact with anybody who traveled outside the country recently. Um, this kind of gave us uh, enough anecdotal evidence to say, obviously, you're not going to be symptomatic for a good portion of time when you can still transmit uh, the disease. So we were snowballing how this could happen, what the details were. And I'm pretty passionate about it. I I grew up in a household. My mother was a nurse. My wife is a nurse, uh, both registered nurses. So I've always grown up around medicine, science, uh, data. You know, I believe in modern medicine. And I was being pretty passionate about it. And one of my friends uh, just sent me a text as a sidebar and said, hey, you know, you, you seem really into this. I actually got an email from my provider, Kaiser Permanente, uh, where they're going to start a vaccine trial. And I'm like, wow, already. Okay. You know, sure. Yeah. Forward me the information. I'll go ahead and uh, throw my name in the hat and we'll see what happens. So he just gave me basically an email that said, send your uh, age, uh, what, you know, your general health background is, you know, are you healthy? Do you have any underlying issues? And you're, uh, going to be put in for a possible interview. So about 24 hours went by and I got a phone call and they said, you know, we're going to run through this boilerplate slew of questions. And apparently I did really well in them because they said, yeah, if you'd like to come in, we'll actually do a physical. We're going to do blood work. Make sure that you're looking as healthy and feeling as healthy as you say you are. Um, we're going to dig deep into your medical background. Anything that we may find may exempt you from it, but let's move forward if you're okay with it. So. Uh, Two or three days later, I went down to the clinic, did a full physical blood draw, blood pressure, um, urinalysis, you name it. They put me through the ringer and came back and said, yeah, you look like a perfect candidate. Uh, Do you still want to go forward with it? We'll send you about 80 pages of stuff (laughs) that you're supposed to read through and sign so that you understand what's going on. And if you have any questions, get back to us. We'll answer them as candidly as we can. Uh, And at that point in time, we'll enroll you. So I went back home, uh, being an engineer, I did my own research, looked at what mRNA technology is, how long it's been around, what they've done to progress it, uh, use in animals, uh, you know, just everything I could find. And in going back to the clinic to have it in my mind that I was definitely gonna sign up, I had a few lingering questions, which were, you know, what is the worst case scenario? And they said, you know, basically the way this works our worst case scenario would be we give you the injection and literally nothing happens. There's, there's almost no chance that anything negative is going to happen because this is just basically post-it notes. It's, it's a set of instructions. Your cell either takes in, understands and performs the creation of these spike proteins or it doesn't. And either way your body's going to destroy the mRNA within a day or two at most. And I said, okay, great. Um, What about, you know, Beyond that, let's say the mRNA works, the spike proteins are or are not made. They said, well, if if they're not made, once again, no harm, no foul. It's not really going to affect you. If they are made, they should progress to the surface of the cell and be released into the body. Um, And then at that point, the body either won't recognize them. And once again, they decay and are gone within weeks, um, usually one to two, or the body does see them recognizes them as a threat and you have an immune response, which is our best case. And that's what we're working for. So I said, all right, it sounds safe enough. Um, I discussed it with my mom, discussed it with my wife. Uh, let's go ahead and sign me up for it. So at that point I put in the paper and signed up.
0: Again, thank you for, for doing that. I, I, I mean, I admire your, um, I'll just say it courage, you know, and bravery um, to just go ahead and, and do something and be the second person to get the vaccine in, in the clinical trial. D- tell me about the day that you actually went in. Were you nervous at all?
1: You know, building up to it, I didn't really keep it in the forefront of my mind. Uh, I wasn't trying to focus on it in order to not get my nerves worked up. It, it seemed pretty ho-hum. Uh, when I showed up, you know, this was uh, March 16th of 2020. It's it's ironic because at that time there was no temperature check at the door. There was no six foot of spacing. There was no face coverings. There was literally nothing happening other than, you know, the uh, pharmacist and the doctors were wearing gloves. But, you know, that's just very typical when you're dealing with uh, anything that's biohazard like human blood. Uh, went in hung around in the waiting room for a little bit. Um, They called me back and did another blood pressure check. They said, you know, we're gonna do an initial blood draw to give us a good baseline of right before we give you this. Uh, And then, you know, we'll come in and we'll give you the injection and you're gonna need to hang around for 45 minutes to an hour. Uh, Because, you know, honestly, if this is the first time going into any living thing, actually, it, it skipped clinical trials for animals. So we were the first humans and animals getting this done. We want to make sure that there's not any immediate, harsh, uh, drastic reaction that your body has to it. So I said, okay, sure, no problem. And then they kind of, uh, they draw the blood and they go away and you're sitting there for five to 10 minutes, which seems like an hour or two going, okay, yeah, I guess this is really happening. And uh, a pharmacist comes in, um, has a little baggie with a biohazard sticker on it. And is like, okay, this is what we're going to do. Are you ready? Uh, roll up your sleeve and let's go." Um, at that time, there was a couple of associated press photographers doing both stills and uh, video. Uh, they asked if that was okay, and I said, Sure, no problem. So there's uh, you know, footage of me getting that first injection um, back in March, it seems like in some ways last week, but in reality, we I mean, it was well over a year and a half ago almost.
0: Wow. That's yeah. So interesting. I was just thinking about the, your concept of time and, and how this pandemic, I feel like it's been, it's been warped. We're in this, like, I don't know what it is, but just, it feels like yesterday, the, the day you got the vaccine in Washington, that was the day of our, our first, our stay at home order, <clears throat> March 16th. Right. So anyway, what a what, uh, what I'm just amazed though at that, <clears throat> excuse me, at the um speed in which it was out there in relation to. I mean, it, obviously, scientists knew that the COVID, the SARS CoV 2 um, COVID 19 virus was very serious because they were following what was happening in China, and so you know, whoever the powers be were getting a jump on that. I'm just amazed so that, like you were getting the first or the second, you know, you were getting your, your first dose of this drug, um, vaccine that like that, at that point in our, in the COVID sort of timeline, like, it's just amazing to me, like the, that you were able to do that so quickly. And I'm not, and I totally believe in science. And so, I mean, I, I, I think that it's just a a wonderful thing that whoever it was, was, um, paying attention. So
1: yeah, there, we can definitely touch on that. So there, there's definitely been a lot of skepticism around the speed and safety regarding these vaccines. Um, so a couple of data points. You've got mRNA technology, which has been used in veterinary medicine and studied for well over two decades. So we're talking 20 plus years. Um, they also were able to fully sequence the genome of the virus in China in uh, mid January. And they published that for world consumption for free. Here it is. Let's everybody jump on this. So we've got a few things working for us. We've got past history with a known um, attack vector that you can use for going after viruses that's never been successfully trialed in humans before. But you've also got this urgency. You've got a global pandemic brewing. um, And you've got a lot of people really focused on it with years of background in science, virology, epidemiology, and then you've got a lot of money being thrown at it too. Um, That's a combination for the perfect storm in a good way. The safety and the speed of the trials, um, usually what would happen is they would do a phase one, which I'm in, uh, and it was a very small pool. And that's basically just to test whether or not there's any negative effects to the body of the vaccine itself. If you get any, proof that it actually works. That's icing on the cake, but that's not really what phase one is for. So typically phase one would go for almost a year for any possible long-term effects. And then they would stop. They would analyze the data. They'd publish some papers and they would decide whether or not they would go to phase two. Then they would do phase two another year or so. Same process. Analyze the data. Does phase three make sense? Yes. So that's why Traditionally, vaccines have taken years and years to, number one, be created and be proven safe and effective for humans. But then there's the additional red tape of showing all this data to the FDA and getting the full approval. What they've done here, instead of doing that serially so that it's one right after the other, is they've done them in a staggered parallel. So statistics have shown that 99.99% of vaccine injury, and that is something directly causing harm to the human body from a vaccine happens inside of the first six weeks from injection. There's a few exceptions to that. The most notable was when an accidental life polio virus was put in a vaccine and after six weeks had passed, that person got polio and died. So that's an extreme case. We've obviously learned a lot and we know exactly what we're doing in much of the way vaccines are being produced. So after phase one people, which we were actually broken into three groups, uh, the first group, which I was in, only got a quarter of what the current dose everyone else is getting. So I got 25 micrograms. Four weeks later, I got another 25 micrograms. Uh, At the point where we were eight weeks out from our first injection, phase two started because they had enough data to say, six weeks has passed after the first injection, in fact, eight weeks, and there's been no adverse reaction to the 15 people in the small dose. So they moved to the second phase of phase one, which was people getting 100 micrograms, which is the dose everybody's getting now. Mm -hmm. Those people did an injection, four weeks, an injection, four weeks, a blood draw. And then they started the final group in phase one, which was 250 or two and a half times what people got. Um, That helps both test the safety as well as try and right-size what the dosage is gonna be. So they found that 25 was not bad. Uh, It's it's not a linear um, graph if you look at the tighter level antibodies. So even though I got a quarter of the go-ahead dose everybody else in the world ended up getting, I was only at half the same antibody levels as people who got the full 100 microgram dose. So quadrupling the dose only produced double the amount of antibodies. The 250, there were too many adverse effects with people getting severe headaches, uh, nausea, um, one gentleman passed out uh, and, and fairly high fevers in the 102, 103 range. So those were obviously helping target the, yeah, that's too much. Um, nobody had any lasting ill effects from it. They all cleared up much like people have the effects of these uh, mRNA vaccines within the first 36 hours after the injection, it's all gone. So once phase one had been underway for three months, that's when phase two started. Phase one is still continuing. They're still continuing to draw our blood on a monthly or every other month schedule to monitor us. And at the same time, they're in parallel now going with phase two. Once phase two had been going for about three or four months, they started phase three. Phase one and phase two are still progressing and still having data collected at that point in time. So by not doing things one right after the other and waiting for completion and waiting for data, this is how it was able to go through all the same steps with all the same people and compress the timeline.
0: Thank you so much for explaining that. Um, I knew that things had, like the red tape had sort of been cut, um, but I didn't know in, in what way. So that really makes, that makes a lot of sense. And, um, I really appreciate your, like I said, explanation. Do, um, I saw something on, I think I, I saw you post, um, I looked at your Facebook profile and I saw that you posted a, a, your vaccine card. So, and it showed a third dose. Um, so can you talk about the third dose that you've gotten? Is that like our booster shot?
1: that is testing for what potentially could be a booster for everyone else. Yes. Um, So what they did is at 51 weeks, so just shy of a year after my first injection, they got authorization for the FDA to go through this new process to test the efficacy of a booster. Um, They split many of us up um, in different groups once again, but this was in terms of what they were testing. So what I got was a single dose Uh, like what everybody else is getting in two doses spread four weeks apart with Moderna, three weeks apart with Pfizer, uh, 100 micrograms booster. Um, Some people got a 100. So let me back up. Mine was the exact same thing that everybody's getting now. It's called the wild variant, which is the original one. Um, At that time, South Africa was seen as the, one that had the best chance of breakthrough. So they did a resequencing of the mRNA to target specifically the spike protein to build one that looks exactly like the South African variant. So some people got 100 micrograms of that. The final group actually got one that was 50 micrograms of the original wild and 50 micrograms of the South African variant all in one shot. Obviously, they're testing whether or not just having a booster of what we've already got millions and billions of vials of will be enough to keep breakthroughs from happening by boosting our uh, levels of our antibodies or should they focus directly on what may become the next most dominant strain or should they just blend in Um, unfortunately they keep us blind to all of this so any information that i have is what's released to the general public and what Moderna or Kaiser or the NIH release to the press after it's typically been peer reviewed. Um, we're still continuing with this. Uh, I still have another, they just called a few days ago and I have to go in on August 31st to have another blood draw at about the six month time frame for post booster to continue looking at what's going
0: on. So are they are they telling you what your antibody situation is at all? No. No.
1: No. In fact, um, the only way I knew that I had produced antibodies and that the vaccine actually was successful because, you know, you're walking around and people say, oh, well, you know, are you just like throwing the mask in the garbage and acting like you're immune? <laughs> Superman, right? And I said, no, because we didn't know that at the time. They They didn't tell us anything. So it was six months or so when they finally published their data in the New England Journal of Medicine that said that all 45 people in phase one had a robust immune response. And granted, this is in a lab environment where they're introducing our antibodies in a Petri dish to the virus and seeing what the reaction is. And they're saying we're immune, but that doesn't really give you real world data. Um, we, We didn't even get much real world data. Until we saw some of the uh, curtain pullback from both Pfizer and Moderna when they went for the emergency use authorization of the FDA. That's where they actually showed that starting at two weeks, people who were exposed were still getting sick that had been given the placebo. And people who had been given the injection at two weeks after started to drop off. And by two weeks after the second dose, almost nobody got it anymore.
0: Hmm. That's so interesting to read about yourself. Like at what point will they tell you like, Oh, Hey, Neil, this is all of your information. Maybe after the FDA has approved it, like their actual, not emergency. So authorization, under- but-
1: what they've done is they basically signed us up for 14 months. Um, and that, reset the clock when I took the booster. So it's going to be another 14 months. And at that point in time, they said that you know nothing is necessarily blind. They have the authority to give it to us, but they have no um, real desire to. They, they don't have any kind of compulsory thing pushing them in the back to do it. They can give it to us, but there's nothing that guarantees they will.
0: Mm-hmm. I, I wonder... If you feel a tiny bit more secure though with having had a booster do you do you feel that way a little bit
1: yes I do after seeing what's happened in Israel um, even though they are chiefly Pfizer and I'm moderna they're really really similar um, but seeing that after you know 90 plus, days to six months that the levels have dropped enough where they're getting more breakthrough cases and that they've actually authorized using a booster. And I believe there's a few other European countries that are going through that process now as well. It, it does make me feel better. Um, since, you know, I've, i in the last two months gotten my 12 year old, uh, well, she's not 13, but she was vaccinated. Um, my wife being in the medical field got vaccinated, uh, her second dose back in January. So I'm actually more recently vaccinated than her, but not as recently as my oldest. Um, Still have two that are under the age of 12 and can't get vaccinations. So, you know, we mask up, we limit our exposure in public and we wash our hands and do everything we can. I've been lucky enough that um, nobody in my immediate family has contracted COVID. We haven't had any scares or anything, but, uh, you know, there's definitely some worries around it. And it's not just that oh yes you may die it's there can be long lasting scarring of the lungs um issues with heart uh you know they're they're it's kind of like chicken pox back in the day and it's kind of ironic that they're comparing delta as being as contagious as chicken pox was when i was growing up if the little boy down the street got chicken pox all the kids went to play with him because you want to get it out of the way and then you're done and you won't catch it again and it's easier to get over when you're a kid rather than when you're an adult, it can be much more serious. Fast forward to this current timeline where we see that, oops, now everybody who got it has to take a shingles vaccine when they're 50, or you could be right. contracting. Or the, the virus basically comes alive again and shows itself as shingles, which can be a very painful and debilitating uh, disease. So covid could very easily be like chickenpox and in that these long haul symptoms don't go away. Or even that people who got mildly sick and feel great and say, see, it didn't need a vaccine. It's just like the common cold might have some serious health issues down the road that they don't know that they're setting themselves up for.
0: Yeah. And we certainly have seen that in the medical field where folks are literally dropped dead from a heart attack or a stroke. You know, mm-hmm. so because um, there's, we don't quite understand the, there's some weird coagulability that happens um, with the virus. And I don't understand that, but you're absolutely right. So what you're saying is we really, we still really don't want to get it.
1: No, definitely not.
0: Looking back on getting enrolled um, in this clinical trial, like, How do you think about it now after being like a year and a half?
1: I think it's remarkable. Um, There was a lot of hope that this would work. There has never been an mRNA vaccine that's ever been successfully released for humans, Um, mainly because it was such an edge technology for so many years. They were using it on things that are incredibly hard, like uh, Zika, AIDS, HIV, um, cancer, even those are problems that we don't expect to have solved pretty quick. Um, so having this work as quickly and spun up as quickly and distributed to the world as quickly as it was, and to be, you know, against the wild variety, 90 plus percent efficacy is, is astounding. Um, I knew that, um, after day 1 i was getting calls randomly i don't know i guess once the media the associated press gets your number it's just passed around so i'm getting calls <laughs> from everybody from cnn to fox to the local news channels you name it i i made a decision i said you know if this company really knows what they're doing and takes things off the ground i'm going to willfully not invest i know that i could probably make a mint and you know in hindsight i could have retired i'd have a lot of money if i had poured uh, I'll get a good bit of savings into Moderna stock, but I haven't ever bought Moderna stock or Pfizer stock or any biotech stock. I don't own any now. And I, I don't have a dog in this race except for helping in the global pandemic, helping keep people safe, um, hopefully making sure that as many loved ones as possible are still around in a year or two to, to see their kids and grandkids and aunts and uncles and husbands and wives.
0: You can't see it, but I'm crying. <laughs> Thank you. I, I just
1: didn't feel like it would be ethical if I'm out here speaking positive things about an injection that I got that at the time was highly experimental, um, had a, a very slim chance of being successful, but then I'm making money and capitalizing on it. I just don't ethically feel like that was a good thing to do. So I made a choice that I'm going to step back from that and not you know, try and make money off of uh, the success that I possibly
0: helped create. Um, Did you also feel like, um, and I felt a little bit of this myself, um, being, you know, vaccinated early after, you know, the emergency authorization, did you feel like you had uh, responsibility at all to publicly praise the vaccine or, or show that you weren't afraid or, or I don't know, promote it in a way.
1: Oh, absolutely. Yes. I definitely use what what little bit of notoriety that I got from being the second human on earth to receive any type of vaccine um, to talk about vaccine hesitancy and understanding science and data over fear and, and uncertainty that you know it's it's ironic that people will take a person you've never met before who just claims they're a medical doctor or a ceo from a pharma company and they're spewing things that are chemically and biologically impossible one one favorite trope is that your dna is changed by this and that's absolutely impossible Um, there's missing pieces of chemistry that would need to be in place to allow that to even happen Um, the this this goes nowhere near the nucleus and doesn't enter the nucleus itself which is where your dna is in the first place so the fact that you would believe somebody you've never met and you have no idea what their actual credentials are on the internet because it just feels right is just confusing to me over somebody who's your doctor who has you know giving your kids checkups through their whole life, giving you checkups through their whole life. Anytime you are sick or injured, you go to this person and they give you medicine, prescriptions, PT, they make you feel better. And they're telling you, yeah, no big deal. I mean, literally vials of this are all around the world in numerous doctors and scientists' hands. Anybody at any time could take a microscope, look at it, pull it apart and say, hey, there's a big lie here and here's the proof. But that hasn't happened because- it's not a thing. Yeah. So it it confuses me, but at the same time, you know, I've been on Anderson Cooper a few times with he and Sanjay Gupta. I've been on other CNN shows. I've been on local news. I've been on uh, interviews, both video and just voice around the world. Good morning, Britain. And, you know, every single time I'm like, look, I am X number of months. And at this point I'm like, i over a year, 16, 17 months out, and I'm completely fine. Like literally no issues whatsoever. I will go back and touch on the booster. So because I got a quarter dose, I pretty much felt nothing after either injection
0: mm-hmm. because
1: it was such a small amount. I had really just a very slightly sore arm after the second one, and that was it. The booster, even though it was 51 weeks, almost a year after my first injection, And 47 weeks after my second injection, it felt like what most people describe their second injection only four weeks later is. So it shows that even at a lower dosage, my body totally remembered what it was and totally reacted with a very robust immune response. Uh, It it was incredibly painful for me to raise my arm past about here for a good day. Um, I started feeling lethargic about 24 hours in and about 24 hours in, I also got the chills and had a low grade fever, like 99.0, 99.1. And the, the chills fatigue and fever lasted about 10 hours. And then everything went away all at once. It was almost like somebody snapped their fingers because at that point in time the body had figured out there was a problem. We've gotten it eradicated and we're good now. A lot of people say, well, you know, I get the flu vaccine or, or or my flu shot or I get this vaccine and it's making me sick. It's giving me COVID. Impossible. There's there's 21 plus different proteins that all combine in a certain way to make this virus. They are recreating one protein that's like the hallmark signature look of it. And that's what's teaching your body how to identify it. Your body, when you get a fever, when you get chills, when you get aches. That's your body's reaction to something. That's not what's in you causing it. All a virus does is replicate and spread. That's its job. It enters the cell, it hijacks the cell, and it says, stop doing what you're doing as a normal cell. Make me, make more of me. And it makes more and more and more until the cell has no resources left and no room left, and then the cell dies, ruptures, and releases those thousands of virus to do it all over again. So much like a splinter in your finger, it's annoying for a little bit, but if you leave it in there a day or so, it gets red and painful and swollen around the outside. That's your body reacting to the splinter, trying to push it out. And this is much the same way these little spike proteins that your body says, these are bad. These shouldn't be here is reacting in a very strong and violent way to say, there's a problem. I'm going to need more of your energy to fight this thing off. So I'm going to make you have a fever so that we can increase our metabolism, make more white blood cells, make more, you know, make the lymph nodes swell, make you uncomfortable so that you will slow down physically and conserve your energy to help fight this.
0: It's amazing. It's absolutely amazing what the technology was able to do and what, and then our immune response can do, uh, to protect ourselves, um, from this virus. Neil, I just want to thank you so much for, um, being on the show and, and, um, really sharing what your experience was like. Also, you gave a lot of technical information, which I really appreciate. And the listeners, Well,
1: I've I've had a lot of practice and I try and relate (laughs) it in a way that Almost anybody can understand, because that, in my experience, is what helps the most is a lot of these people, they don't understand. It's not that they don't want to get the vaccine. And granted, there are some who absolutely don't. And for whatever reason, Um, the reason for getting it in as many arms as possible is a few things. Number one, there are people who are immunocompromised or who have allergies who can't take. Vaccine. So you need as many people inoculated as possible to create herd immunity, which I'm sure a lot of people have heard about. Um, But it basically means it reaches a point where there's so few people that can contract it and spread it and help it continue that it just burns itself out and is gone. The second thing is every single person that is a vector for this to jump to and become infected is another petri dish for that virus to grow in and mutate. And we are only a few bad mutations away from going back to where we were over a year ago. If if we get a bad enough mutation that there is no longer any protection from the vaccine that we have now, we're back to the drawing board. Sure, mRNA technology is easy to pivot, easy to change. They can brew up the new cocktail when they figure out what the dominant variant is. That's not working with the vaccine anymore, but now we're still back in the logistics issue with producing billions of doses for the world. Right. And that's going to take time. And that's going to take a supply chain to get those distributed. And it's going to be lines again to get people with shots in arms. And it's kind of sad, but the people who are vaccine hesitant or vaccine refusal are actually helping drive this and continue. They, they want life back to normal and don't see that the reason to get it back to normal is vaccination. It, it's a double edged sword with how lucky and and fortunate and privileged we are as a country that we have no huge systemic issues with rampant things of the past polio has not been eradicated polio is in many third world countries but few and gone are the people who remember polio or who had you know a brother or a cousin or the kid down the street who was paralyzed and died from polio right uh lined up around the block to get it because they saw firsthand immediate effects of it they didn't have anybody trying to turn something that's science and medicine and data into politics those two shouldn't mix. There's no reason to politicize sick people, dying people, or be able to say, well, we should open things back up because you know it's people's livelihoods and, and their jobs. That's basically saying, I'd prefer us to make money and thereby putting a price on a person's life. Well, they're not worth you know, uh, another two weeks of lockdown. They're not worth that. Those people are old or they're sick and they, they're going to die anyway. Well, we're all going to die, but that's just not a compassionate and empathetic way to address this.
0: No. And right now, you know, it's the younger folks actually who are getting the virus. Um, the folks that haven't gotten vaccinated, who are um, so, anyway, I mean, I think it's people's, in their, people, people's, sorry, people in their 30s, 20s. And...
1: Yeah, I, I know that the statistics in the hospitalizations, the number is trending down drastically.
0: Yeah, we're seeing
1: the age number, the age number, not the number oh. of people. The number of people is going up, but the average age is going down, which is a, a sure sign that it's hitting people harder at a younger age group. Because yep. otherwise, if it wasn't them hard, they wouldn't be going to the hospital.
0: Very true. Uh, I agree with everything that you said, um, that unfortunately, the unvaccinated vaccinated and the vaccine hesitant are, are kind of keeping us in this quagmire. Um, and yes, I agree. Everybody should get vaccinated if they can, um, so that we can sometime return somehow more just experience life in a more I don't know way that we used to um yeah. I saw this meme the other day of this like mom and the her daughter was pointing mom I see you're a polio vaccine did you see that like yeah she she's like,
1: what is that me. oh that's my scar from a polio vaccine she goes why don't I have one she goes because vaccines work <laughs> yeah
0: <laughs> Yeah. Yep, cuz that's what happens. And and I just, you know, I just my know. sister
1: has one but I don't.
0: Oh She's wow. She's only
1: 3 years and 11 months older than me, but she has a polio scar. I I was born in 73, so I don't have one. She was born in 69.
0: Wow. Yeah. I and mean, it's really interesting to think how much things change in a short period of time. I mean, 4 years that's sort of that's not very much time and will be interesting to see for us how things change as well. But yeah, I, I think that all of us who are here now are here because of we made it, you know, our parents, our ancestors, whoever it is, made it through because of vaccinations. Like we all got measles, mumps, rubella, um, mm-hmm. flu vaccines and, and you name it. Um, and,
1: and, you know, people talk about, Oh, it's a, it's a big pharma, is just trying to push boosters because they want to make more money. Let me tell you something. If big pharma wanted to make money, they make money on people lingering near death for weeks in a hospital. That's how you make money. (laughs) Have you ever seen those bills? That's how people make money. It's not about injections in people's arms. Secondly, anytime you're getting the tetanus shot every 10 years or so, that's a booster. Why? Because Chicken pox lasts pretty much your whole life. You're almost never going to get a second case of it, but tetanus goes away. Your body's memory of it goes away and you need a booster about every 10 years, because if you get tetanus, there's a little boy in Oregon just five or six years ago who, you know, his parents were severe, hard against vaccination. He hadn't had anything. He scratched his leg on a rusty nail and he got tetanus and they didn't take him to the doctor for weeks. And it was over a million dollars. He had to learn to walk again. He was in pain. They had to have complete darkness in his room because even light would trigger his body into spasms where, you know, those who aren't familiar with tetanus, it basically tenses all your muscles up. Like you have a whole body Charlie horse that doesn't go away. And anybody who's had a Charlie horse knows how painful that is for just a few seconds. Um, yeah, you have to get all of that. And the people who say, well, I'm young enough and, and I don't need to worry about it and I'm not worried about protecting kids. Um, when you get the Tdap, the P in that, that's pertussis, that's whooping cough. Very few adults get whooping cough. And if you do, you get over it pretty easy. It's not a big deal, but guess what? Whooping cough kills kids. That's why we make sure everybody gets inoculated against that so that we don't have that Threatening our kids' lives. This is the same way.
0: It's no different. Yeah, I mean, it's about empathy, right? Yeah, and I mean, we we should be thinking about the fellow, our fellow citizens, our our countrymen, our neighbors, our family members, or whoever it is. It isn't just about us as individuals.
1: And on social media, I purposely have people who are of varying points of view, because I don't want to live in an ec- a echo chamber I want to understand what their thought process, I want to understand what they're thinking about, why they have issues. And, you know, there's ways to ask a question, and then there's ways to ask a loaded question. Um, if, if I say, hey, did you happen to steal a car the other day? is completely different than if I say, hey, how are you going to handle that car you stole the other day? Now it's already presuming you have stolen a car and there's no way anybody can answer that without having to attack the fact that they didn't in that same vein. I had, um, somebody say, so the red cross won't take donations from people who've been vaccinated. I thought this didn't change your DNA. Hmm. And I go, well, I've given blood twice since I've been vaccinated. So that's not true. They absolutely can and do take your blood. And just to give you something to think about, the chances, especially in the Seattle area where we have 70, 80 percent fully vaccinated, the chances of you getting a blood transfusion of somebody who has vaccinated blood is very, very high. Even anywhere else in the country, though, it's also very high. And if you think about it, you can find out why it's compassion somebody who's compassionate enough to care for others to get a vaccine is also going to be the same person that's compassionate enough to donate their own blood for other people's purpose and lives. So without going into statistics, I would estimate they probably have a far higher amount of donations from vaccinated blood than from non.
0: Yeah, I have a feeling you're right. (laughs) (laughs) Do you have any last closing thoughts at all for the today's show, Neil? You
1: know, as, as trying as it is mentally, emotionally, to continue to mask, to continue to socially distant, to take whatever precautions you can, ju- just do them. I know we would all like to go back to normal. Um, the problem is when we know it's safe to go back to normal, and we don't know that yet. So is it annoying to wear a mask? Yes. Is it? so bad that you pass out, that you have health conditions. No. And, you know, some of these efforts that people went through to prove that it doesn't lower your O2 sat or increase your carbon dioxide in your bloodstream are just ludicrous. I mean, nurses, doctors have been doing this for years. Uh, there's doctors in right. operating rooms that are are on 16-hour procedures wearing a mask the whole time. And if there's somebody you want to have the sharpest physical and mental acuity possible, it's somebody with a sharp instrument poking around inside your body. (laughs) If there were any issues, it would have been come apparent far before just this past year. So it's not really hurting anybody. You may feel like you're suffocating or like you can't breathe as well. And that's, that's a mental thing. And, you know, Practice wearing it around the house and take it off when you feel like that. And then pretty soon you'll get to ignore it. Uh, The kids, you know, usually who are doing what they're told, wear the masks all the time and don't really have a problem. I see kids far younger than are required to wear masks, wearing masks and they're fine with it. Some of them are even, well, why can't I have a mask? You have a mask on, I want a mask too. And so the monkey see monkey do, and it's not a big deal. Eventually we'll get through this one way or another. I'm hoping that it's to the point where it will either become mutated to where it spreads easily but does almost no damage and burns itself out. That's the worst case in-game scenario um, that, that I would like to play out. I don't want to see the opposite where it becomes horribly um, virulent and horribly debilitating people. That could also happen. And that's literally why we're continuing to mask and continuing to vaccinate and continue to wash our hands and be socially distant when it's feasible to. If we stay the course, it will end. Every pandemic has. I'm sure if we were able to time travel back to the early 1900s, we would have similar conversations with similar people who say, when is the Spanish flu going to be over? This is horrible. But it will.
0: Yeah, eventually, it did end, and uh, that has actually that just gave me a ton of hope. So thank you, I appreciate that. <laughs> and sure. I mean, sure. there, it will it will end. You're absolutely right. I mean, pandemics they've happened for centuries. Uh, so, and you know, the only thing that we just don't have is a crystal ball. So, if uh, but we have to protect ourselves and others in the meantime. So, uh, I just can't thank you enough. That was, thank you so much for being on the today's show. You're obviously an awesome guest and I appreciate your analytical mind and your, the way that you broke things down. So that's, and you know, we have a lot of analytical medical people listening, so I'm sure they'll appreciate that as well.
1: My pleasure. Thanks for the invite. I'm
0: going to close this. Oh yeah. And, uh, I'll have to keep tabs on how things go with your, with your data and, or.
1: By all means. Uh, I usually, so I make all of my stuff public so that nobody has to friend me on Facebook. Um, they can see any of the stuff that's regarding the vaccine or my progress in the trials. Um, they're free to comment, ask questions, and I'm fairly responsive. Um, so they can they can find any data they want to or ask questions, and I can delve in and share what I know, or I can dig for it and find links to back up what I'm saying.
0: I'm, I'll link up some of the, um, like, your, some of your uh, so interviews um, that you've done on the show notes of this podcast, so people can okay. see that for themselves. All right, I'm going to close this one out like I normally do. Stay safe and stay sane, and we'll see you on the next one. Thanks so much. Yeah, no problem.